You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to spotlight injuries with Will Carroll, provide your fantasy fix, and visit with Jaguars punter Brad Nortman. And Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with Warwick Dunn, the former Falcons and Bucks running back, now with the NFL Legends community. Warwick, thanks so much for taking the time. What are your emotions as you get ready to be added to the Falcons' ring of honor? I uh, appreciate you guys having me. Um, emotions, it's hard to describe uh, how thankful and appreciative I am uh, to be recognized. Uh, I don't think words could actually describe um, what it means to uh, go into the Falcons Ring of Honor. I mean, congratulations to you, Warwick. you, you well-deserved, hard worker. Uh, I had a chance to spend time with you at ESPN and, you know, couldn't happen to a better guy. But when you watch the Atlanta Falcons and, and how they've been playing – uh, they up and down, you know, they have the ebbs and flows of life and, and the game of football. But this team has a tremendous amount of talent, but really hadn't been able to put it together as well as I think we all would like. This division is really tight. Give me your take on their opportunities of, of maybe having a chance to be the wild card or maybe even at the top of the division at the end of the season. Well, Cordell, I think, you know, playing this game, anything can happen. And week in and week out, uh teams make plays or the tide changes in a sense. So I think with us, when you have a new uh, offensive coordinator, a a defensive coordinator, uh, when you're changing key uh, components to a a championship caliber team, you're going to have a little bit of setback and it takes time to gel and grow. And I, I just think we haven't been consistent but we've shown flashes, and I think we need to become much more consistent. And the challenge is going to be coming down the stretch when uh, teams have seen what you've been doing all season long. Can you make the adjustments uh, coming down the stretch to make plays? And I think uh, a couple of weeks ago we saw that. Uh, we saw how the Falcons played against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when we were to make adjustments we really have a high-level game. And I just think we need to work on being much more consistent, getting our playmakers involved, but you know, creating short fields uh, for the offense and long fields for the uh, for the opposing offense and our defense playing well to put more pressure on those guys to create turnovers and sacks. So if we can play together as a unit and uh, control the football, I think we are we should be okay. Chatting with Warwick Dunn, part of the NFL Legends community. Warwick, we've heard so many outstanding stories about Falcons owner Arthur Blank and his commitment to the community. What can you tell our national audience about Arthur and your relationship? Well, I think he's uh, he's a unique individual, genuine uh, human being. He cares about people. Uh, he's, he's the main reason that I came to Atlanta in 2002. Uh, the relationship has been uh, great. Uh, I call him Pop. Uh, and he looks at me, I, I think, as a as a son like. So it's a great relationship, but I just think just the human being, just caring about people and wanting to see this, you know, see this world be better uh, to help individuals. He stressed, you know, giving back, uh, taking advantage of your opportunities, and we've we've all been blessed. But if you could take advantage of the opportunity to impact lives. in in different areas of this community. I I think he's all for that, and he's supported his players, past players. Uh, He's he's just a genuine guy that 
Um, if you had opportunity to get to know him or sit down and have a conversation with him, you'll see that he's real and he's appreciative of human beings and people that are doing their part to help make this world a better place. You talk about Arthur Blank giving back. Um, the things he's done in this community, I don't think you can really say it in words, but when you think about the Mercedes-Benz Superdome and what he's given to that city, uh, creating jobs for those people, tell me how big of a, let's just say, it's almost like a museum store to speak and how beautiful uh, that stadium is. Give us an idea of what we're missing if we hadn't had the opportunity to visit. Well, it's just a, I would tell you the stadium, Mercedes-Benz Stadium is just a unique uh, building. It's very iconic and you know, we tried to do things a little bit different than other uh, cities when they did with their stadium. And this is just, this is definitely a centerpiece for Atlanta. Um, I, I think when people fly in, they're going to look forward to coming and seeing the amenities of how we treat each other, uh, the prices of food, but just the overall uh, warmness that the building shows. And when you can have people that live in the community uh, be a part of the stadium, have opportunity to create jobs and so forth, I, I think that speaks volumes um, of the type of leadership that we have, but also the impact that we do have in the community. Work. let's head back to the matchup, and it has a lot of playoff implications on Thursday Night Football. You were one of the best running backs of your generation. When you look at the Saints, rookie phenom and Alvin Kamara, what do you like about his game? He is making an instant impact in our league this year. I know, it's scary. Uh, he's come out of nowhere, and, and really, uh, he's breaking tackles. He's catching the football out the out the backfield. I mean, he's running downhill, physical runner, and has uh, shown some elusiveness. So it's kind of scary that you know you are you already have one beast, and you you bring another one, a, a rookie. It's it's scary for opposing defenses. So I think they catch guys off guard because you don't know. Um, you know, who's going to have an explosive day, uh, uh, himself and Ingram. So it's uh, it's interesting to watch those guys and they're utilizing them in ways that has put pressure on defenses. So I think for us, uh, we're going to have our hands cut out and our linebackers are going to have to make plays and keep the guys in front of them and make the tackle. I just think now uh, there's a lot of missing tackles in, uh, during this era and it, it, we, we're not tackling well. So we have to do a better job making open field tackles so we don't allow those big plays. Kamara has shown if you miss a tackle with him, he will expose you uh, because he is a tough runner uh, when it's all said and done it in. But within, within this entire division, you started off with Tampa, you ended up with the Atlanta Falcons. Tell us about this division and what makes it so much more unique than other divisions throughout the National Football League. Well, I don't think you come in. I don't think you have all the hype uh, that goes along with it. But for some reason, you don't. You never had a team that has won a division back-to-back years because I just think it's so much competition, and you have elite quarterbacks on on all four uh, divisional opponent uh, teams. That it's always going to be a dogfight and. Uh, I just think it's it's one of those it's one of those divisions that will always be underrated because you, it's not like a showcase division where you the Carolina Panthers they play hard nosed rough football they don't look great I mean they have a spectacular quarterback you have Breeze who like to throw it around and Tampa is finding their way and we have some explosion this uh, without playmakers here in uh, in Atlanta so it gives you different elements and the football 
that style is a little bit different, but we all bring an element that we can beat anybody anytime, anywhere. So it's definitely exciting, and it's good to come down the stretch. We have to play each other on a much more consistent basis to see who's going to actually win a division year in and year out. Warwick, it was great to chat with you again. We enjoyed the conversation, and congratulations on being added to the Falcons' ring of honor. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. The 11th Hour with Brian Williams. Tomorrow's headlines before they go to print. I've just been handed some great reporting. Tomorrow's questions before anyone's asked them. Could you make an obstruction case? Tomorrow's conversation tonight. Who is there to stand up to the boss and speak truth to power? Not a single person. The 11th Hour with Brian Williams. More than the day that was, it's the day that will be. Weeknights at 11 Eastern on MSNBC. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We're back on NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Jaguars punter Brad Nortman. Brad, thanks so much for taking the time. Let's go back to Sunday. Take us through that fake punt the Jags ran to perfection against Indy. Well-executed play, and now your team has turned three fake punts into touchdown drives this year. Yeah, we, we really have. It was uh, We've had a lot of success with our fakes this year, and uh, finally we had two runs that were to our PP, and finally they, they recognized my throwing abilities and athletic ability in general and put me in to have the, be the uh, spearhead of the fake. But, um, I mean, it, it was really well um, schemed by our defensive coordinators, and, um, you know, I, I got to say that it was called at the right spot in the field, and um, our guys executed perfectly. We were, it was the first drive of the game, actually, so we were moving the ball, and lo and behold, I, I hear our official teams coordinator um, say that we had our the fake on, and so we went out there, and um, when they gave us the look that we wanted, I knew right away that it was gonna it was gonna work right, and all I had to do is deliver a catchable ball, and um, and it worked out great, and then obviously ended in a touchdown. So it was my first uh, NFL pass. And I'm one for one, and I think my QB rating is pretty high. So <laughs> I think I can I think I can retire from a, a quarterback standpoint uh, quite content. Well, I tell you what, you have me beat, my friend. So you're 100 percent on every category, <laughs> all right, Brad? Uh, but it's not too bad. <laughs> yes, not too bad at all. Uh, let's let's just say special team players, especially punters and and place kickers, uh, they don't really get the respect other than when they have the success. Uh, that one play that you're talking about now and going back to when you guys played against the Chargers, when Josh Lambeau, your place kicker, he ended up sending it through the uprights, ended up beating the team that let him go. When you see your partners, actually including yourself, have a chance to have some fun and some success, how gratifying is it to be on the sideline to see your guys and even yourself have that type of success? Like you said, it, well, it's, it's very gratifying. It's, it's really cool. You know, our job is characterized by, you know, repeating the same process over and over. And just, you know, usually it's for the punt, especially you're taking a situation that's a relatively negative environment where our offense couldn't convert on third down. So I'm out there on fourth down about to get the, the ball up to the opponent. So it's usually um, a negative swing in my, in, in our away from our direction. So to be able to go out there and, and to be a part of plays that are positive, that either put points on the board or give our offense the ball back or provide some uh, positive notoriety is, is really cool. And it, it's something that doesn't happen very often. So when it does happen, you got to enjoy it. 
and um, to, to positively affect the game in that way that's noticed and um, shows up on the scoreboard um, is really quite cool. Obviously, it doesn't take away from just the satisfaction I get in, in normal punting and um, providing our defense a good field position and, and affecting the game that way. But every once in a while, plays like that occur where it's a game-winning field goal or a fake punt or, or something like that. And, um, and boy, it's, it's gratifying and it's really quite cool. Jags putting special into special teams play. We're chatting with their punter, Brad Norman. Brad, you came to Jacksonville last season. How has Doug Marone tried to change the culture of the organization since he was promoted to head coach? Well, Coach Marone has really instilled a, um, a strong work ethic within the team, a, a really disciplined environment um, where you know rules are followed specifically and it's going to be uh, we're going to work really hard, and because of that hard work, it's going to translate onto the field. One of uh, trusting one another and um, and just being professionals. And you know, he he played the game himself, and he brings sort of a, um, a blue collar work ethic to um, to our team. And um, it, it just, I think, the the discipline aspect of our team, both on and off the field, um, has really shown itself in the win column this year. So. Um, you know, he's, he's been great. The, the entire coaching staff has really prepared us well. I think we game plan uh, very well. I think we go into every game feeling confident that we're going to be put in the right position to have success. And, you know, so just from the top down, it's, it's, very, uh, it's a very cleaned up environment of, of guys following the rules and being disciplined and, and working really hard. And, and those kind of virtues are celebrated uh, within the locker room and within the building. So and I, I think it shows itself on the field. When you look at Coach Coughlin and what he brings to the table uh, from the standpoint of everything you've just mentioned, how big of, a di- of an addition has that been for you guys? Because this is not the same organization that we've been accustomed to seeing. It's been one that's kind of fallen off by the wayside a little bit. And, and now all of a sudden it's like you guys are really contending every single week that you play, regardless of the mistakes you're in every single game that you're playing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it kind of piggybacks off what I was saying about Coach Brown. I think that's the benefit is, is that um, those that are in positions of uh, influence and leadership, from Coach Coughlin's position to Coach Marone to our GM and all of our coaches all the way down, everybody's on the same page. Everyone's on the same page as, as far as what's expected from you, as far as professionalism and you know, even the small things of being on time and uh, respect and hard work and, and everything, just the core values of, of what uh, any traditional football team or, or work environment would usually promote is on the same page. So, you know, if the tone is set from uh, Coach Coughlin, Coach Marone, and, um, you know, we have followed in line. We've got great players around us and lots of talent and, and, and coaches that scheme well. And, you know, like once those things become habit of, of discipline, of hard work, of trusting one another, um, it, it gets ingrained deep. And you don't even have to think about it on Sunday then. And it, it provides us the opportunity to win games, be in all, almost every game, as you said, um, and then have some success. And, and even though it's, it's challenging to ingrain those habits and to work really hard in training camp and all that, as you know, Cordell, it's, um, it, 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 it's rewarding when you're winning, and that makes it all worth it. Having the season go by and, and to be where we are, it makes it all worth it. Jaguars punter Brad Norman is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn, joining us on behalf of the My Cause, My Cleats campaign that was such a success a week ago. Brad, all teams have personalities. What's it like to be a part of this club that has emerged with such a strong defensive identity and a little swagger with stars like Jalen Ramsey? There's, 
there's a lot of swagger on this team. You know, I maybe I balance it out with not a ton of swagger, um, <laughs> but um, you know, it's cool. It's cool, and I think when guys are when we're having success and guys are making plays, it's guys feed off of it. I think we've got very very tough offense, a very uh, super incredibly strong and opportunistic defense that you know sacks the quarterback like crazy, gets interceptions and makes tackles. I mean, it's it's really cool to have the blend of personalities. You know, you got. Calais, which is kind of the, you know, uh, the godfather of the defense, always kind of imparting wisdom, helping guys, coaching guys, um, being the, you know, the stoic, you know, anchor of that defensive line. But then you got guys like, you know, Jalen Ramsey and, and guys like that that are, you know, they got that swagger. So it, across the board, you've got a good balance of personalities. Um, and that's what you need. You, you want diversity on a football team. You want different personalities to be able to have it all evened out because there's a, there's a place for everybody with that um and i think it makes for a very complete football team right it's okay to say that you're a part of the quarterback club right you you're one for one you throw a touchdown on a fake punt am i correct so i have I a question so. if you vouch for me then i think it is well here's the deal here's the here's, here's the deal here okay so i say you're a part of the quarterback club well back in 2003 i was playing with the baltimore ravens our punter got injured i had to go on the field i had three punts my last punt came out of the back of the end zone. I punted the ball 50 yards into the win. I ended up getting AFC Special Teams Player of the Week. Do I qualify as being one of the special teams players? <laughs> oh, absolutely. My God, man. I think, we, I think we'd welcome you in even even beyond that. But, boy, you put, put up those kind of numbers. You get Special Dude. Teams Player of the Week. You are yeah. firmly in. Hey, man, look, Brad, look, let me tell you something. When people <laughs> talk about the kickers and the punters, bro, I got you back. But if I say something rough about you guys, I have all of the range and capabilities of doing it because I'm a part of the special teams, Brad. That's true. It's true. You are. You, you are given that right now. You are oh, part man. of the family. That's my guy. Thank Good you. to see Brian, the I'm game sorry, Brian. recognize his game. Yes. Brad, let's wrap it up with what was such a special week last week. My cause, my cleats. Tell us about the cleats you wore a week ago to honor your late cousin. Yes, well, thank you for giving me that opportunity. You know, I think it's a great uh, opportunity for guys who will tell their story and be able to tell what's um, important to their hearts. And and for me, it was bringing uh, awareness to suicide prevention. Um, My cousin, a guy named Drew Milkett, was two years older than me, um, grew up, same hometown. The closest thing you can have to a brother, I think, as growing up, we can all associate who was our best friend, all that kind of stuff. Well, he was a family member, best friend. You know, we grew up very, very close as close as you could be. And, um, you know, it was, he was a wonderful friend and, you know, he later in life, um, he suffered from some, from challenging uh, mental illness and and depression. And, um, unfortunately he, in March of 2012, he, he took his own life and it was just six weeks before I got drafted to Carolina, the team I was originally on. And he was the guy that was always incredibly confident that I was going to be in the NFL, talked about it, that it was a, a foregone conclusion. And, and maybe I even spoke about it with some reservation. I'm like, gosh, Drew, you know, I don't know. The the numbers are really hard, the statistics of making it and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, no, you're crazy. He's like, you're going to make it. And even when he was in school, he's like, I don't even know why I'm wasting my time. I'm just going to be your manager when you're in the NFL anyway. And so he was always providing me just unconditional love and support, not only on the field but off. And I looked at him as, as being an older brother and an influence and a role model for me. And, you know, he, he could light up the room with a smile and wit and, um, and laughter and comedy and uh, and love. So, you know, just to, you never think it's going to happen to someone that you feel very close with. 
and you never quite know the, the challenges that they're struggling with deep down. And so I just wanted to raise prevention for suicide awareness, for mental health, um, just to get the conversation going because it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a disease that is not really well understood or known. And I think that the more we can talk about it, the more that we can support and love those around us, if, if you are dealing with any kind of challenges, having suicidal thoughts or actions, to actively seek, seek help. There's help out there from a lot of different sources, and it, it's, it's physiological like any other disease, and it just comes up in different ways in, in more of the, the mental health area. So um, for those that, that went through it and have lost somebody um, to that, it's, it's crushing. There's still a part of me today that struggles with it, and it's... Um, you know, I can speak for all of our family and friends and people that knew and loved Drew that it, it leaves a hole in your heart. So um, I just wanted to get the conversation going to honor Drew um, because he was one of my, my biggest fans. And to have his likeness on my cleats, to have a good punting game, to, to shoot, throw a fake, fake punt. I mean, if that's not Providence, I'm not sure what is. And um, it, it was just an honor. Um, to support that cause, to wear his likeness on my cleats, and uh, to tri- to give him tribute um, for everything that he had done for me um, and to remember him by. Brad, thanks so much for sharing that thoughtful story, and thanks for joining us today on the NFL on TuneIn. We enjoyed the conversation. Good luck in a big game coming up on Sunday against Seattle. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. With more than 30 First Play podcasts on TuneIn, you can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows before they're available anywhere else. Hey there, it's Mike Rowe. This is The Way I Heard It, the only podcast for the curious mind with a short attention span. We're at episode number 83, incredibly. I'm Jack Hitt. And I'm Chinjirai Kumanyika. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we're joined by the injury expert, Will Carroll. Will, thanks for taking the time. Unfortunately, we have to start with the very serious news surrounding Ryan Shazier of the Steelers, who has had spinal surgery. In general, what could his recovery process be like? You know, I don't want to speculate at all. We just don't have enough information. You know, originally this looked like nothing more than a spinal concussion, which (laughs) that's pretty darn serious right there. But now that there's something going on that needs stabilization, that can be something as simple as taking bone chips out of there to make sure they don't move around. It can be that uh, something's completely lost way uh, because the structure has given out. He's got all his feelings. He's got great surgeons, so I'm just going to cross my fingers and hope for the best because there's far too much we don't know about this to really guess where this is going. And that's an understandable perspective. Okay, let's get to Tyrod Taylor, carted off the field. What have you heard in a general sense about his knee injury? Yeah, this one's going to be about the stability of the knee. He's obviously a mobile quarterback. You've got to have the the stable base to be able to throw. Without that, you're not going to be able to do it. Add in a couple factors. First, Buffalo. It's not going to be warm there, and they could have snow or other precipitation there this weekend. That certainly doesn't make anything more stable or more fun. Uh, and I plan the Colts, which, uh, let's face it, not the toughest competition. Will they need him to go out there? Will this be a good test uh, for Peterman? So I think they're going to be very, very conservative with Taylor, it's an odd situation. Normally you see the better quarterback and you think, oh, they're going to be conservative with him. But I don't 
know that they are. I don't know what the Bills think about their quarterbacks at this stage in the season. So I think they're going to watch him closely. But I don't think they're going to take this up to game time. I think they're going to get one last look at him in practice tomorrow and make their call. Give me your take on Mark Ingram and his toe. Uh, is he going to be 110% tonight alongside Elvin, um, Elvin Kamara? Excuse me. Yeah, this toe is worrisome because you know we've seen this become almost a very strict role split. Uh, he's getting the power carries. They're they're limiting Kamara's exposure. They're making sure he doesn't have to do the things he's not good at, and that uh, he's not overworked in his rookie season. And that tends to work out. Um, but when one of those roles slips away, the last thing you want to do is overexpose the other guy. So this is not an immediate. If Ingram doesn't play, that Kamara will step right in. He'll get more carries. He'll get those red zone touches because that's not what they've been doing with him. I think the Saints are too smart to do that. I think we're going to see a few more passes. I think the backup running backs will be in there in some of those situations. Yeah, I think Kamara will go up a little bit. But I'm waiting to see. They're going to take this right up to game time. But the push-off, the ability, look, anything with the toes, we saw this with Antonio Brown last week, Sometimes you can play through it, but you're playing through a lot of pain. Turf toe is one of those things that it might sound soft, but, man, it lingers and it hurts. Give me your take on Joe Mixon. That was a very, very physical game uh, that was played on Monday night against the Steelers. Um, I mean, there's a few knockout. I mean, there was a couple concussions in that game, and I think Joe Mixon ended up being under the concussion protocol. Give me your take on where he is right now. Yeah, that's, that's one of the tough ones because that game did get out of hand. You know, the, 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 the juju uh, block on perfect, I got to think that was targeted. Uh, certainly the hit on Shazir was, was uh, you know, it was a tough one. I mean, Shazir had his head down. We can, we got to get that out of the game and there's just no way to do it. And it's a big problem for and with the NFL. What are we going to do about these hits, whether we're talking about those or whether it's Gronkowski or all the way back? I saw Brent Musburger this week talking about uh, the violent world of Sam Huff. And I think those of us of a certain age remember about this time of year, we get those stocking stuffers of the NFL blooper videos and the NFL big hit videos. That's what we were raised on. How do we take those out of the game at some level, or at least from the unsafe level of targeting with your head, getting those out there. Mixon's in the concussion protocol. He's moving through it. There are a number of players that are going to be in that this week, uh, like Zach Ertz as well. Uh, you have to just watch to see exactly where they are. They've got to be out on the practice field to pass through uh, stage four of the concussion protocol before they can be cleared to play. So you, we're looking to make sure everybody's back on the field by Friday in most cases that we've seen sometimes those steps get skipped. Injury analyst Will Carroll is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Will, it strikes me as a layman that a hand is important for a quarterback to be effective. How can Matthew Stafford even get on the field on Sunday? Well, we saw Dak Prescott play a couple weeks ago. Was that the Thanksgiving game where his hand would look like Yeah, it was last week against Washington, last Thursday. Yeah, so it's one of those situations where uh, you can play through it sometimes, but, uh, you know, it, it, it... comes down to two things. First, can you grip the ball? Can you take the snap? Can you hold on to the ball? Uh, make all those uh, fakes and uh, ball fakes and everything else you have to do. And can you throw the ball normally? So this is going to come down to function. I think uh, Stafford and a lot of other uh, quarterbacks can play with pain. It's a question of how close they can get him to function and how they can protect it once he's in there to make sure it doesn't get exacerbated, it doesn't get worse, because that can go sideways pretty quick. 
How about Jabril, Jabril Peppers? Second consecutive week with a toe injury. Um, what's, his, what's your take on him, and will he be able to continue to play? Yeah, again, this is just like with Antonio Brown. The, the, these turf toe-type injuries, we're seeing more and more of them. And I'm starting to worry a little bit because you know, sometimes these clusters feel like something's happening because we see three or four of them at once and we say, oh, what's changed? Not much has changed. You know, it's not like somebody uh, put out a new shoe in the middle of the season. It's not like somebody changed the turf uh, in the middle of the season, though. <laughs> if you watch the Big Ten Championship game, you might wonder why the Colts aren't. Uh, and, and then on, on the other hand, you know, toes haven't changed in you know, a couple thousand years at least. Uh, so why are we seeing more of these? I think we aren't. Uh, I think we're seeing a cluster of them rather than an increase. Uh, that doesn't make it any less painful or more problematic to try to play through it. So it's going to be a very tough one for a player who's that athletic. Talking injuries with Will Carroll, Media Relations Director for Modus Global. Well, last one for me, anecdotally, it feels like we've seen more injuries involving the Achilles this year. First Richard Sherman, and now Jimmy Smith. What can you tell us about the Ravens cornerback? Yeah, uh He's up a little bit, but it's within range. Much like ACLs, those are one of those injuries. It's not really a whole lot we can do about it. It's unfortunate. You try to hold them back. We've seen guys go through it. Uh, you know, Tom Brady has missed some practice time, including today's practice, uh, as they try to, you know, deal with a little bit of Achilles tension, uh, probably a very mild strain. Not really a whole lot you can do for it. There's not really a whole lot of, lot of ways we can prevent it. Uh, luckily, we can put them back together. Uh, the surgery has gotten infinitely better. Uh, the, the rehab has come better, and we saw it there uh, just a couple of years ago in Baltimore when Terrell Sucks came back uh, so quickly, it seems so quickly, but now it's kind of the standard. So I think anybody that's had this, we can see them come back, and unfortunately the Ravens have a little bit too much experience with this kind of rehab. You talked about coming back. Uh, let's go back to that very physical game and I think the one that probably everyone has their eye on, and that's the injury to Ryan Shazier. Uh, what do you see he is right now? Is he still in Cincinnati? When will he be able to go back to Pittsburgh? No, he's back in Pittsburgh, and he had surgery. Uh, the Steelers released a statement saying that he's uh, had, had sur- uh, spinal stabilization surgery. That can mean an awful lot of things. Uh, you know, Sometimes there's small pieces of bone that have broken away. You certainly don't want that in there. Uh, there could be that one of the, the ligaments or other structures that stabilize the spine uh, has broken away, and they have to make sure that it stays simple. If you think back, you don't see this anymore, but it used to be when people broke their neck in a car wreck, you'd see those big halos, and they kind of screw it into the brain, uh, or into the skull, rather. Not the brain, that'd be bad. Uh, but they, they kind of put their head up in that ring, uh, and hold it in place for, for weeks or months if necessary to make sure everything was safe. It's similar to that. What they're doing is stabilizing things around there to make sure that the spinal cord is both stable and not being shocked in any way. Uh, you, you have to attack that. Uh, so far, we've had nothing but positive news. Uh, you know, he, he got feeling back in his legs. He had motion. He was able to fly. So that's positive. But I... I I just don't want to speculate on where this one's going uh, because there's too many variables and too much we don't know. Uh, I just hope that we can all keep him in his thoughts, in our thoughts, because uh, he's got he's got a journey ahead of him. I don't think he's going to be able to come back this year, uh, and, and I think that should really be the last thing on his mind. I just wonder, especially after such a physical game, whether or not players who saw this happen 
start thinking about that? Do they start pulling back? Do they start thinking they're they're not quite as uh, invulnerable as they usually are? So I'll be curious to see how they, they react to this one. Unfortunately, certainly was not the case on Monday Night Football. That was a brutally physical game. Will, great yeah. information as always. Enjoy your weekend. We'll chat with you next week on the NFL on TuneIn. Thanks a lot, guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. And after the show, you're going to enjoy a Miller Lite. When it comes to a beer brewed to handle a Sunday full of touchdowns, insane punt returns, and I can't believe he caught that, look for the light beer that's always brewed for more taste with only 96 calories. Miller Lite, the original light beer to be enjoyed from pregame to postgame. It's been a part of the game since it first showed up on the sidelines back in 1975. So when you reach for a light beer this game day, grab the one that won't fill you up and never compromises on taste. Miller Lite, straight ahead. How will the Falcons try to slow down the Saints tonight? We're going to spotlight Falcons defensive tackle Grady Jarrett. He's today's original team player presented by Miller Lite. He's Cordell Stewart. I'm Brian Weber. It's NFL No Huddle presented by Miller Lite on the NFL on TuneIn. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we welcome in Mike Wabshaw of the Vikings Entertainment Network. Mike, thank you for taking the time, and you always provide comprehensive analysis. The Vikings have a complete team. They're red hot. But if you had to find a flaw, what do you think the biggest area of concern might be? Ooh, I love it. I love it, you know, because this is what they do every Monday morning when they come in after a game is they try and figure out what's got to get better. And um, even in the victory against Atlanta, um, guys, there's, there's one thing that, you know, I think you could fine-tune one of the things you'd point to is um, is negative yardage runs um, for our offense. And look, I mean, this this running game has been much, much improved from where it was last season. And last season we were without Adrian Peterson um, for most of the games, and so you can understand why we struggled. Plus we had all those injuries on the offensive line. This year we've been healthier along the offensive line, and Latavius Murray and Jarek McKinnon have done a great job of stepping in for the injured Dalvin Cook, but still um, a few too many negative yardage runs for me um, that puts the offense behind the chains from time to time. And look, this offense is good. Um, There's no doubt about it, but um, it can be better. And I think those negative yardage runs are something that if they could eliminate those, I think they would even be a little bit better. Mike, when watching the Minnesota Vikings, they found ways uh, to control the game. Uh, They didn't give up big plays. They played very methodical and played the field game. They scored when the defense gave them the opportunity. So they basically played the control game in all the games they played, especially some against tougher teams. But if they have to play from behind, say down by 10, say down by 17, do you think they have the capabilities of playing from behind? Because that's what we hadn't had an opportunity to see them do quite yet, be behind by maybe two touchdowns and a field goal to determine the outcome of a game. Yeah, that's a good question. And, Look, when you're, you're right. I mean, when you're playing these good teams, like we're playing Carolina this week, and we might play a Green Bay Packers team that has Aaron Rodgers um, in, in week 16, and then assuming we make the playoffs, obviously we're going to run into a good team. You might find yourself down by a possession or two possessions. Uh, I do think that this team is equipped to battle back and get into a game, and, and the game that convinced me that they could do that is the Washington Redskins game when we came out of the bye. Case Keenum and company put up 38 points in that game. That told me that this offense can come to play. And, and 
if you look at, again, drawing back and comparing to last year's team, we really struggled in pass protection. We gave up way too many sacks. And I think a big part of it was the offensive line allowing pressure. And another part of it was Sam Bradford not really having the forte of escaping pressure and buying time. And this year it's the opposite. we got an offensive line that is protecting well, and we have a quarterback who can get out of the pocket. In fact, he has the highest passer rating in the NFL outside of the pocket, 120.1. So I do think, although you don't want to be in that scenario, I think if in that scenario, I think this offense can muster a comeback. Um, And I think a big part of it is Case Keenum's ability to extend plays with his legs and perform well outside of the pocket. Chatting with our pal Mike Wabshaw, Vikings Entertainment Network, Vikings Team Channel here on TuneIn, getting you set for a marquee matchup on Sunday. It's Minnesota and Carolina. Mike, earlier we were talking about the fact that Case Keenum now belongs in the expanded league MVP conversation. Don't think he's going to win it, but once you get to that second tier beyond Tom Brady, Carson Wentz, Russell Wilson, Case Keenum, I think merits serious consideration. Who's the team MVP of the Vikings this season? Yeah, good question. Because you can't give it to one side of the ball. You can't give it to the whole defense. You know, and if you if you wanted to look on defense, you'd want to look at Everson Griffin, who's got 12 sacks. But if you talk to those guys up front and the defensive line coaches, they'll talk to you about how good Linval Joseph is, even though he doesn't get all the stats. So, you know, that success is really spread out on defense. I don't know. Maybe it's Case Keenum because without him, what would have happened? What would have happened to the Vikings this season if they had not signed Case Keenum to be their backup? You don't know. I mean, um, Case Keenum has stepped in, and he, you know, he's been obviously great. Um, but you know, I think, and I think Cordell, um, Cordell, you'll um, appreciate this, having played the game, um, you know, at the NFL level. There was a, a series of plays against the Falcons, guys, that really, to me, illustrated the essence of Mike Zimmer's team. And what happened was. The Vikings were forced to punt uh, right around midfield, and Ryan Quigley landed a punt at the two-yard line. The defense comes on the field, forces a three and out, and the offense gets the ball at, I think, the 53-yard line, and they drive down for a touchdown. And it was like, yeah, well, it's you know not that hard to, to get a three and out when the other team is backed up. And, yeah, it's not that hard to drive for a touchdown when you only have to go 53 yards, but that's that's complimentary football. That's team football, and that's what the Vikings have done this season. And so it gives you – what it does is it doesn't really open up a lot of, like, MVP candidates um, on your roster, but it does give you a lot of wins. And, and I think that's the way it's been going for the Vikings. Well, they've been playing very well off one another. I will say that. It's not one guy that wants to shine. I think it's the entire team that is. But I think a, an area on this team that needs to – and. and need to shine and get a little bit more recognition. It's the offensive line. I think over 360-something more consecutive drops by Case Keenum, he's only been on the ground nine times. That's under yeah. double digits after that many attempts as far as the drop back game is concerned. Why aren't many people or, or anyone really giving more credit to that offensive line that's pretty much been stellar when it comes down to blocking for Case Keenum? Yeah, I have one theory on that, Cordell. I, I think I mean, in week one, the Vikings played on Monday Night Football against the Saints, and they looked great. You know, so everyone saw that game. But that was Bradford. And then Bradford 
didn't really play again. I know he played in the first half against Chicago, you know, about a month later, but that was it. Other than that, we've had two games on national TV. We had a sleepy win over the Bears where we had to come back in the second half with Case Keenum, and we had another sleepy win over the Lions on Thanksgiving Day where we opened up a 13 to nothing lead but let Detroit back in the game and had to squeak one out in the end. So we have not been on the big stage in front of a large audience and really played well, and I think that's kind of part of why the, the team in general is a little underrated. And then, you know, you guys know, I mean, the offensive linemen just don't get talked about unless they're giving up sacks. And, and the Vikings have not given up a lot of sacks, as Cordell just pointed out. So I think that's why they haven't gotten a lot of attention either. And um, I know that you guys, you guys interact with and invite fans onto your show. I mean, fans want to see their teams get credit. They want their team to be number one in the power rankings. And they want their team to be on SportsCenter. This team just isn't, and fans hate that. But I know the guys inside the building, that's one thing they love about this season is how under the radar they've been. Mike, let's wrap it up with a preview thought of what's coming up in Carolina on Sunday. Mike Zimmer, one of the most respected defensive minds in football. How do you think the Vikings will try to game plan against the mobility of Cam Newton? Yeah, I'm really interested to see that, you know, because Mike Zimmer's had great success against Cam Newton in Minnesota. He's 2-0 against Cam. Cam has one touchdown pass and four picks against Mike Zimmer. So, um you know, and he's been sacked 12 times in two games. He's got a pass rating of like 55. So everyone here is just like assuming it's going to be like that all over again. And I, but I'm not selling Cam that short because I know how competitive he is, and I know Carolina's in a dogfight for the playoffs. So we're going to get a really good effort out of Carolina. Plus, we're we're playing on the road. What I'm really interested to see is, you know, Carolina does a lot of max protect, a lot of three man routes, and. Cam is not great when he's pressured and blitzed. So that's why they do the max protection. So I'm really curious to see if Zim is going to come at Cam with the kitchen sink and have Harrison Smith and Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks blitzing, or if Zim is going to come at it from the other way, let his front four get after the passer and drop seven into coverage, drop seven into coverage against those three-man route concepts and make Cam figure it out. I mean, I, I'm really excited to see how that goes. Um, and then now you add in Christian McCaffrey. And the last few games, the Panthers have done a really nice job of putting Jonathan Stewart and Christian McCaffrey on the field at the same time. They'll do a lot of zone read and read option. And just when you've got that figured out and you're collapsing on it, they'll pitch it out to McCaffrey for a touchdown, which they did a couple of weeks ago. So I think, I think the Panthers got a good thing going on offense with the running game. You know, defensively, a really cool matchup is going to be Captain Munnerlyn on whoever is in the slot for us. And we put Diggs in there and Thielen in there because Captain has practiced against Diggs and Thielen for the last three years. Now he's back with Carolina. So Captain knows what we're trying to do on offense, and he knows Diggs and Thielen really well. So I'm very interested in that matchup. And then you have uh, Matt Khalil against Everson Griffin uh, on the other side. You know, that's going to be a fun matchup to watch as well. I expect a really physical low-scoring game. I think both these teams are big and physical, especially in the trenches, so I expect a slobber knocker that's going to feel a lot like a playoff game, and who knows? We might see Carolina in the playoffs next month. Well, Mike, anytime you drop a Jim Ross reference, I'm in a good mood. It could be hell in a cell in Carolina. Slobber knocker on the way. Mike, great information as always. Enjoy what should be a stellar game. We'll chat with you next week on the NFL on TuneIn. My pleasure, guys. I have fun chatting with you guys. Hope you have a good rest of the week.
You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. To solve a crime, you need to go to the crime scene. So, in my podcast, Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, I team up with writers and actors to recreate the circumstances around cold cases and try to solve real crimes. Every Tuesday, we delve into true and real cold cases, like the Black Dahlia murder, Listen to new episodes of Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, one week early on TuneIn. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. We roll on on NFL No Huddle, the podcast with the Fantasy Fix. Fantasy football has become a major reality for millions of fans. Makes him off to the 30, he's gone! He's gone, what a move! It takes skill to win your fantasy championship, separating the zeros. And he goes to the near side, and it's picked off! Intercepted! From the fantasy heroes. Down the middle, it's caught over the shoulder in the end zone. Buckle up your chin strap for the fantasy, fantasy fix. fix. Always a pleasure to talk fantasy football with one of the best in the business. It's Dennis Farrell from Fantasy Football Geekly. Dennis, thanks for taking the time, and it's crunch time in fantasy football. With the playoffs here, can't make a mistake when it comes to your lineup. What are you doing with Mark Ingram, who's had a big year, but the veterans dealing with a toe injury heading into Thursday Night Football? The latest report right now is about 3 o'clock Eastern Standard Time says he will play. The toe issue is not a big deal. They held him out of practice to just... Keep him fresh and not aggravate the toe. He is good to go. Put him in your lineups against a very weak Atlanta defense. He should have a good game, and there's no indication he will be on a snap count. Dennis, we saw Jamal Williams with a big game, but Aaron Jones had a key run as well. As he continues to heal, how do you see the value of both guys in that offense? You know, if this was a week earlier coming up, I would say I like Aaron Jones a lot. I think they're going to move. They're slowly putting him in. The matchup is great for for them. I, I like Williams a lot more than Aaron Jones. If I'm an Aaron Jones owner, and I am, I actually have him on the bench, and I'm playing Tavon Coleman over him. It's a gamble. But I am I'm counting that they're going to ease Jones back because he's more of a dynamic runner. It was great to see that touchdown, but – Williams is the guy you want to roll with for at least this week. Dennis, this is going to sound like blasphemy, but I have to pose the question. You know that the Falcons' offense had real issues last week at home against Minnesota's tough defense. They did not score a touchdown. Julio Jones merely two grabs. Saints have a much better defense than in the past, so what are you doing with Matt Ryan tonight? You know, I'm not a big fan of Matt Ryan. You look at what he's done all season long, and only twice this season he's coming in the top 15 in fantasy quarterbacks, week 11 against uh, Seattle, and I believe against the Jets in week eight. So New Orleans, it's a primetime matchup. If you have someone better, use him, because this is week one of the fantasy but uh, fantasy playoffs. But right now, I have no faith. The offensive coordinator is not getting the job done. You know, I'm, Is he even on the field right now? I knew that uh, last time I checked, he was the offensive coordinator was still sitting in the booth for Atlanta. Even with the loss, we saw the return of Tariq Hill and Alex Smith. Are you trusting either guy the rest of the way? I like Tariq Hill a lot, and Alex Smith has a prime matchup against Oakland this week. Uh, you know, here's the thing. he's He's gone back and forth, and he's starting to kind of turn in, other than against the Jets, the Alex Smith that we knew from last year or the last couple of years where he was kind of a game manager. He wasn't the breakout star that he was the first, what, three or four weeks of the season. 
Uh, you know, last week he was the for overall best quarterback in fantasy, but you go back the further two weeks, he was 20 and 24th overall quarterbacks for fantasy. Oakland, I think he'll be a top 10 fantasy quarterback, and I would probably play Alex Smith over, uh, you know, Matt Ryan right now. It's the Fantasy Fix with Dennis Farrell from Fantasy Football Geekly. Dennis, I'm auditioning to be the fantasy football version of Skip Bayless. Hot takes, I'm a contrarian. So I just found out that Matt Ryan shouldn't be playing tonight, and that was an interesting piece of advice from you. How about Drew Brees? Because you just told me Mark Ingram's going to be effective, presumably tonight. We know about Alvin Kamara, sensational running back. Would it be worth benching Drew Brees tonight? Boy, it depends on who you have right now. That's a great question. He he's kind of like Matt Ryan. You go back and look at what he's done all season long. You know, Carolina, the twenty second best quarterback. Uh, the Rams or the Los Angeles Rams, the twenty first best quarterback. You know, in the second half of the season, he's only posted one top five, maybe even one top fifteen quarterback. Uh, top fifteen quarterback in fantasy. Atlanta, once again, a weak defense. And I'm guessing that this is either going to be a shootout or it's going to be a nothing-nothing game, which I doubt that with all the offensive weapons. I I like Drew Brees a lot more than Matt Ryan in this matchup, but I'm calling it now, guys. Two touchdowns out of uh, Brees tonight. I'm looking forward to it. I'm a Saints fan. Thank you for that one, Dennis. (laughs) What about the possibility of a nothing-nothing tie there? Dennis, expand on that thought. That was a sizzling lava-filled hot take. Well, you know, I, I grew up in Atlanta, so I remember the the Atlanta Saints matchups of the past, and they both were horrible teams at those times. I'm talking about, like, Crystal Chandler, Lear, Chris, you know, Chandler. Uh, it was just too bad. I just remember those days of nothing, nothing football from the Saints and Falcons, though. That's just, you know, a little flashback for me. Yeah, I mean, I remember he, those he days, remembers. too, as well. Yeah. I remember to Fellas, Billy White Shoes Johnson is not playing tonight. This is a good matchup coming up, all right? <laughs> and there's no bags involved either, by the way, because when the Saints were playing bad, they were considered as the Aints. Uh, exactly. But I like to stay in that division and talk about one of the, another rivalry uh, rival within that division and talking about the Carolina Panthers. Have you seen a difference in Cam Newton without Calvin Benjamin? What is the outlook uh, in the final few weeks of the season? Uh, you know, once again, I'm a Cam Newton owner, and I have uh... – I have put up with his uh, lack of fantasy output all season long. This is, you know, I don't think I've seen much of a difference for me to say, oh, you've got to start him or, oh, you have to bench him. Right now I have him at number 12 overall this week for fantasy. He is going against the uh, Minnesota Vikings, which scares me a little bit. It was encouraging to see him last week as he was the sixth best overall quarterback, you know, with nice two touchdowns. At Minnesota, I'm a little bit scared. I think he'll be a top 15 quarterback at best right now. But Green Bay, Tampa Bay, and Atlanta after that, it's a little bit promising for Cam Newton. But you'll have a bump in the road this week. Finally, Dennis, as I mentioned, it's fantasy playoff time. We're not messing around anymore. Tell our listeners what they're going to find out when they check out Fantasy Football Geekly. Look, I'm going to help you win your league. I'm not even going to brag too much about it. You know it. I know it. And, you know, Brian, let me ask you this. When are we going to get in a fantasy league together? I know you've been fantasy-free for a couple years yes. now, and I, I want to try to get you to relapse. Well, Dennis, as Cordell can share, I have commitment issues, <laughs> and this is not even just limited to fantasy football. My issue was, and I know you and I would bond, I am a terrible loser, 
and I've mm-hmm. had to sacrifice friendships for the glory of fantasy football. So I don't want that to impact our positive working relationship. Are you saying we're friends? Oh, no, we were friends weeks ago when we had the WWE connection. In fact, yeah. Dennis, I teed you up because you're a pop culture maven. When I mentioned Mark Ingram's toe, I was ready for a John Goodman, Big Lebowski drop. You need a toe? I can get you a toe, Donnie. <laughs> Thank you. God, I love that movie. I love that movie. I think Dennis movie. and I need a podcast, Cordell. You, you want to take a day to, off? You need to get, because I was, I was about to stay quiet and let you guys just go ahead and go. <laughs> Cordell, go ahead and run what, what's your favorite part of the Big Lebowski? The whole movie? You love every scene, right? You know what? Every scene, yes, but I think the scene outside where they're spreading the ashes and he dumps the ashes and it spreads all over him, and it, that was just sums the whole movie up at the very end where nothing just went right, not even spreading the ashes in the ocean. As Cordell tells me, the dude abides. The dude abides. Dennis, good <laughs> luck tonight. We'll chat with you soon before the Fantasy Super Bowl on the NFL on TuneIn. Thanks. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. This is Uncivil. So we ransack America's history. And discover that the past is never really past. From the American Museum of Natural History in New York City, and beaming out across all of space and time, this is Star Talk, where science and pop culture collide. Search First Play Podcasts and listen early, listen often, and listen today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's dig deeper into Thursday night's matchup between the Saints and Falcons, focusing on our home team hero, Falcons defensive lineman Grady Jarrett. It's NFL No Huddle, spotlighting the stars of the game who played their hearts out for one team their entire career. It's the original team player, presented by Miller Lite. So, Cornell, let's focus on Grady Jarrett, selected by the Falcons in the fifth round of the draft a couple years ago, coming out of Clemson. His father is Jesse Tungle, former Falcons linebacker who's in the team's ring of honor. What do you remember about Jesse? He was a defensive playmaker on some very good Falcons teams, the Dirty Birds. Tell you what, he was a guy that could run from sideline to sideline. Kind of remind me of Sam Mills since we're talking about the Saints and, and the Falcons. Kind of reminded me of Sam Mills a little bit when it came down to running from sideline to sideline, who was a, a great player uh, for the New Orleans Saints and, and finished with the Carolina Panthers. Um, Jesse Tuggle was one of the better guys. Uh, he was a part of the championship teams at the latter part of his career. And uh, he was a guy to be reckoned with. Uh, there was nothing he could not do on the football field for his coverage. But most importantly, when it came to running downhill to make those tackles as a linebacker, he was second to none uh, when it came down to what you had to be concerned about, what you had to be fearful, fearful of, and could he make the play. And every single time you saw him on the football field, healthy and ready to play, playing with the Terrence Mathises of the world, uh, having a chance to play with uh, Jamal Anderson, the dirty bird uh, on that football team. I thought he was pretty darn good, and um, he will forever be remembered when it comes down to being one of the better linebackers for the Atlanta Falcons. Real star in your city of Atlanta, Sagrady, with some very solid football genes and had to endure a bizarre series of events during 
the draft because Jarrett's family home started burning an electrical fire during the three days of the draft. He had to watch the final day in which he was selected in round five at a cousin's house to find out. In fact, he had been selected by the Falcons, and then the team stepped up, sending him new clothes, other supplies to get through, a real challenging time in his life. What does that tell you about Falcons owner Arthur Blank and the entire Falcon organization? Well, I mean, they pay attention to the person. You know, they're not necessarily concerned about 100% the player. But, I mean, going back even to Michael Vick, think about when Michael Vick was injured and he was in a wheelchair. Who was pushing a wheelchair on the sideline, which we don't see? It was Arthur Blank. Uh, And I think when it comes down to what players mean to him, you know, they're giving him an opportunity uh, to be successful when it comes to his business endeavors, uh, for his entrepreneurship is concerned, uh, to where a lot of owners, they don't care. You know, it's all about wins and losses. And, and if you're doing good, you stay. If you're not, you, you're gone. Uh, you know, and, and I think he's showing um, the sides of, of who he is just as the human element uh, portion of it is concerned that, you know, when it comes down to certain players, you know, not just certain players, his players, he care about them. And to see him be able to do something like that for Grady Jarrett, I mean, come on, what more can you say? His house is burning down during the draft, and all of a sudden they make sure that he's well and well taken care of as he moves forward with his life first. Everything else is secondary. Uh, And to see that happen, I mean, come on, what more can you say about Arthur Blank and what he's been able to do for his players, but just the things you see him doing overall for this community. I mean, think of the stadium that he's building up. He's created jobs there to bring in the soccer team here into town uh, to bring relevance to that sport and and, and understanding that this city can carry that load. Just think about going back to uh, the Olympics and it being held here back in 1996. You know, that, that goes to show you what this community can hold. And I think Arthur Blank, uh, is the catalyst when it comes down to Pioneer, when it comes down to keeping that relevant for us, this being a destination uh, for not just football, but many other sports, and also creating, I think, from an infrastructure standpoint, creating everything that he needs to create here to allow all of those people outside of the country when it comes to Olympic sports, uh, sports in general, others, other venues that's not carrying a soccer team. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a European flow when it comes down to uh, sports and, and, and people being able to come into this community and holding those games there at the Mercedes-Benz Dome. So, that, you know, it's not a secret to many that understand who Arthur Blank is, uh, but to be able to do that on the level that he's doing it on and to help someone like a Grady Jarrett, come on, man. I mean, that, that's the norm from what I see. But for those who don't know, that's who Arthur Blank is and that's what his players uh, and the people around him and that's close to him mean to him. We are focusing on Falcons defensive tackle Grady Jarrett. He's today's original team player presented by Miller Lite. Let's wrap it up with the Falcons defensive outlook tonight. Major challenge against the Saints. So even though Atlanta lost to Minnesota on Sunday, you watch this team very closely being based in Atlanta. Have you noticed the Falcon defense becoming more physical? Take it back to their win on the road in Seattle. They came up with some big hits in that game. Yeah, the, the thing is about the Falcons is, is while they, they're up and down uh, with what they do, uh, they, they have a consistent uh, theme with them, which is at the latter part of every season, we saw what they did last year, as you mentioned. They made it to the Super Bowl at 11-5. and five. They're in the same position last season. And the question is, can they make that run again? And you talk about this defense – 
when it comes to the front four, you know, Keanu Neal, I mean, he's the player out of the secondary that I have to be honest with you, that really makes a tremendous amount of noise. Adrian Claiborne, look at the things that look at the things that he's done coming off of the edge to be able to make the plays that they need him to make to be extremely success, successful. Vic Beasley, Jr., he's back in. Not making as much noise as he was before the hamstring injury, but he's back in the game and being able to allow his presence to be felt. So when you look at every player that I just mentioned, uh, whether it's Claiborne, whether it's Beasley, uh, whether it's going back to Neal, and that's um, Keanu Neal, uh, the secondary player, one of the most physical, uh, and then Trufant. I know he's been injured. Uh, there may be conversation of him maybe having a chance to come back, maybe back, maybe not. We don't know how long he'll last if he is playing. This defense has to make up of being really, really good. The question is, when watching the Minnesota Vikings game, same thing happened in the Super Bowl. If you methodically drive the football field, football field, you end up causing this defense to be on their heels. I watched them play in the latter part of that football game when they got their last scoring drive. They ran the football down their throats. They threw the football at will because they saw how fatigued this team was in the, in the Atlanta Falcons when it comes to their defense. Offensively, we saw them try to make football plays, but because this team in Minnesota actually played very smart and mistake-free football, not overplaying plays, but actually doing the part that they're supposed to. If they have outside containment, they don't overplay inside because of a fake by one of the running backs. They stay outside, knowing that they have having pursuit coming from the inside to force that back to find one spot to run towards. And that's between the two, which obviously they didn't give up any big plays. That's the way they played Minnesota. That's the way they played against the Rams. That's the way they went on the road and played against Washington. But what we saw what they did against the Atlanta Falcons, you wonder if that's what the New Orleans Saints is going to do tonight. Will they be able to force this, keep everything in front of them, have a bend but don't break mentality, but with this running game they have, obviously we understand the toe of Mark Ingram. We understand what Kamara is capable of doing. Will they stick to that game plan of being methodical to force this defense to have to play from within, which we've seen what happened to them when having to dig from down at the bottom of their gut? Because they're tired and fatigued. They're not capable of being as fast as they were early in the game. So it's going to be a game of patience, which we saw, as you mentioned, ask me about the Minnesota game. That's what, how Minnesota played last week. They played with patience. They didn't get out of, out of their rhythm of what they wanted to do. And they kept their quarterback upright. Got hit a couple times, a couple sacks. But they stayed in rhythm when it came to their quarterback and throwing the football down the football field. So... Atlanta, while they have a tendency to play fast and play hard and be physical, but if you can be patient and play the field position game early on, but try to get some form of points out of it, I think you'll end up seeing a team like the New Orleans Saints, which we've seen that patience from them, be able to prevail. But again, you got to play the football game. Hopefully you can play into the hands of what the Saints can do and not what the Falcons do. And I know the Falcons are saying they hope that the Saints can play into the hands of what they do and not what the Saints do. So, again, which Falcons team is going to show up? Is it going to be the one that become impatient and try to go for the big play? Or are they going to be methodical in their approach to see who can actually falter at the right time to allow that team to actually go down the field and score points? So, last week, 
We had three field goals. Ended up getting nine points from the Atlanta Falcons. You got two touchdowns by Case Keenum. One was a pass. The other was by him on the ground running it. So you just wonder how is it going to work out for the Atlanta Falcons as we move forward because they have the talent. It's just can they find the recipe in this type of a football game, even with the emotions being high after losing the way they lost last week? Can they find themselves to find a way to get a victory by being patient but taking what the defense gives them and defensively being patient to take what the offense gives them? And that's going to be the key to this football game. And also turnovers, I think, is going to be field position and turnovers. I know we say it all the time, but I think it's going to be probably more of a field position game than it will be turnovers because turnovers, you don't always end up losing games because of that because they don't always score touchdowns. But I think field position is going to be a big part and an intricate part of who win this football game between the Saints and the Atlanta Falcons. Undeniably going to be a tough task for the Falcons and their defensive tackle, Grady Jarrett, today's original team player presented by Miller Lite. This original team player segment has been presented by Miller Lite, the original light beer. Miller Lite, hold true. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Hey, guys, you're listening to Dumb People Town on TuneIn. And since we're new here, we thought we'd tell you a little bit about our show. We have dumb ears on the ground. Our fans send in stories that have happened, real stories that happen. And along with our co-host, we Dan, try to break down that material with Dan Van Dan Kirk. Van Kirk, our co-host, breaks it down. And then us and a guest, we and a guest break it all down. And we try and make it funny for you. It is a fast hour, and you will enjoy it. It's a riff fast. Silly. You can hear episodes of our show uh, a full week early right here on TuneIn. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time for Cordell and I to tell you what we are more than sure is going to happen on Thursday Night Football. It takes a unique ability to navigate the topsy-turvy National Football League. Drop down, get your eagle on on this one. A special vision to find clarity in an always changing sport. I was wrong. Brian and Cordell aren't just sure about their perspectives. They are more than sure. I'm more than sure. We have a minute and 45 seconds left. Cordell, you go first. Who's going to win tonight and why? Well, i tell you what, I'm going with the New Orleans Saints. You know, here's a football team that's 7-5 and five on the road against this Atlanta Falcons football team uh, since uh, Drew Brees has become the quarterback there in uh, New Orleans. Uh, this last game, we end up seeing uh, this game with the Atlanta Falcons, I think, on third down conversion. I think they were 1 of 10. Uh, that was uh, going up against one of the best defenses in the Minnesota Vikings. What I will say in this case and in this matter um, – I don't know if it will continue, but I think those wolves they have on the offensive side of the football, the film that will be watched will be that one, one, uh, one game. Uh, and I think the Saints are playing that style of football similar to the Minnesota Vikings when it comes down to takeaways, when it comes down to stopping the run. Uh, and last but not least, this is a rivalry game. So I think the emotions, I think the feelings and everything about it is going to be, it's going to, be to the highest level. And last but not least, the offense. That's led by this young kid and Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara has been, I think, the lightning rod for this offense when it comes down to mixing up what they do from a pass-run standpoint. They're about as good as it gets when it's all said and done in the end. So with that being said, and Drew Brees, I know I gave an extreme monologue. And you got to do it in five seconds. What's the final score? 
24-17, New Orleans wins. Boom, I can do it in two seconds. Atlanta wins 27-24. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll have all the fallout coming up tomorrow on the NFL on TuneIn. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. TuneIn, your everything audio app.